husband who works every day to take care of three or four children, never quite gets everything done, and never quite makes every end meet. What does Christmas mean to her? I wonder what does Christmas mean to that 80-year-old man in Africa living in a hut who doesn't know anything about shopping malls and Christmas trees. What does Christmas mean to him? I wonder what does Christmas mean to the 21 Bolivian children living in poverty that we sponsor here at Bethel Baptist Church who ain't never heard of an Xbox or a PlayStation. What does Christmas mean to them? What does Christmas mean to missionaries all over the world who are half a world away from their families and friends sacrificing so much so that people can hear the good news of Jesus? I wonder what Christmas means to them. Now I'm sure that Christmas means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. When we think of retailers, this is their busiest time of the year. What used to be online Black Friday is now online Black October, November, and December. Those retailers hire a bunch of extra people and they're working diligently to fill and to ship all of your orders. Sometimes they get them right and sometimes they don't. Sometimes you get them and sometimes you don't. Amen? For some employees, it means they might be getting a Christmas bonus this year. You know, a little bit of extra money in their pocket to do the things they want to do. But for children, Christmas is a time of impatience. Hours tick slowly by as they wait for Christmas morning. But friends, does it ever feel like we've decided to throw a party to honor a very special friend and so we send out invitations and we decorate our homes and we cook a whole bunch of food and then when everybody shows up, we realize that the guest of honor is not there. And then we get embarrassed because we realize Nobody even invited him. I wonder if that ever happens at Christmas time. Do we prepare for Christmas? But then we forget whose birthday it really is? You know, in reality, the Christmas season is not intended to be all about us, is it? It's the Lord's birthday. And Christians all over the world are called to remember his birth.
and yes, what his birth means to us. The fact that God made this announcement to the shepherds helps you and I to understand the real meaning of Christmas. So let me share with you again. This will be the last time till next year, amen. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, the physician, Luke, writes this in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, what? Don't be afraid, y'all. Because angels are southern too, amen. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now as we learned last week, shepherds were the exact opposite end of the social ladder from the Pharisees and all the religious people. We know that these shepherds lived in the fields with their animals. And we know that these shepherds were not respected, that these shepherds had no power, and that these shepherds had no prestige. And yet, to them, God's angel comes and says, Unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior. One who will save you from your sins. Who is Christ the anointed one from God himself, the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. And friends, in that one announcement, I believe that God tells you today and he tells me today some very important truths. First of all, that passage tells us that no matter how insignificant you may think you are, God knows you and you are important to God. Did you hear me, church? God knows you, and you are important to him. You see, throughout Scripture, God has been using and been honoring people and things that the world often overlooks, that the world often ignores. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians. Listen to what Paul said. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble have been called. But God has chosen, say chosen. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. 
And God has chosen, say chosen, and God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, that is the lowly things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, say chosen. God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That why? That no flesh should glory in the presence of God. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us. Are you hearing me, church? Who became for us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Consider a young Jewish boy. A young Jewish boy who was sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he was carted off to Egypt. And yet when God wanted to deliver a very special message to mighty Pharaoh, it was this slave, Joseph, who was brought out of the dungeon to interpret the message of God to mighty Pharaoh. You see, God uses the lowly to show his power. God uses the despised to show his power. Now consider 5,000 men plus women and children who stayed late on a hillside one afternoon listening to Jesus. There was no food, and lo and behold, they started getting hungry. But that's not totally accurate because we know that there was one little boy who had two fish and five little loaves of bread. But those two fish and those five loaves turned out to be enough in the hands of God who fed many. Isn't it incredible that God's always doing stuff like that? Amen? He's done it over and over again in my life, and I know that he's done it in yours as well. And so when God decided that he was going to select a mama, he was going to select a mama for his son, he went past the fashion salons. He went past the beauty parlors. He looked past the furs. He looked past the diamonds, and he went to an insignificant village called Nazareth. And there he found a peasant girl. That peasant girl didn't dress in designer clothes. She didn't have a sophisticated education. But that girl was pure. She was pure. And God selected her to be the mama of his only begotten. One and only son. And so when the Christ child comes, he's not born in some swanky birthing center in a hospital in Jerusalem. He's not surrounded by gynecologists and nurses and assistants. No, he's born in a stable. And he's wrapped in swaddling cloths and he's laid in a feeding trough. 
Now the world hears that stuff and thinks that it's absolute foolishness. But Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Paul says that the weakness of God is far stronger than the strength of men. And so when God delivers this announcement to the shepherds, it's almost like what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember when he said, if God cares about the sparrows, if God cares about the lilies, guess who else he cares about? If he cares about sparrows and lilies, he cares about me. God says, if God cares about shepherds, he cares about you. Man, I think we need to hear that in 2020, don't we? Amen. I need to hear that despite all the wrong that's gone on this year, that one thing is for sure, and that's that God cares about me. But unadopted children need to hear that God cares about them. Single mothers need to hear that God cares about them. Alcoholics and addicts need to hear that God cares about them. Men and women who have lost their spouses need to hear that God cares about them. We all need to hear that. We all need to hear that God desperately cares about you and I. Because at some point, every one of us has felt alone. At some point, every one of us has felt rejected. At some point, every one of us has been without hope. And then, Christmas comes. Then Christmas comes and the light shines and God says, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're not alone. You're not rejected and you're not without hope. I proclaimed it to the shepherds and I'm proclaiming it to you. Unto you a Savior is born. An anointed who is Emmanuel, God with us. I know you, and you are important to me. But not only that, because the second thing that this passage teaches us is that your life matters, friend. Your life matters because God Almighty loves you. See, your life not only matters to you, and not only matters to your spouse, and not only matters to your family, your life matters to God, the one who made you. I wonder if these shepherds ever sat around the campfire at night and wondered, man, is this life ever worthwhile? Is this life even worth it? I mean, what difference does it make if we sit around and watch these animals all the time. Have you ever wondered what difference does it make whether you get up out of bed or not? I mean, 
our lives sometimes seem like this endless cycle of repetitive things that don't mean anything. I mean, is this life really worth living at all? And then Christmas comes. Then God comes and he makes his announcement to the shepherds. He makes his announcement to me. He makes his announcement to you. And he says, your life is worthwhile. Your life is worthwhile. Your life is a gift that I've given to you. But I want you to live every moment of your life to the fullest. I want you to live your life for me because your life matters to me. But you know what? Every life matters, doesn't it? Are you hearing me, church? Everyone's life matters. Purple, green, blue people. Everyone matters to God. I think we need to be reminded of that in a year like we've had. See, it's impossible. It's impossible for you and I to live even just a few moments without influencing somebody in one way or another. It's impossible. We're always influencing other people whether it be for good or for bad. Let me give you an example. In 1967, the number one draft pick in the National Football League was a six foot seven, 265 pound behemoth defensive end from Michigan State named Bubba Smith. That was probably before many of your time. But Bubba, Bubba turned out to be a Super Bowl champion. He also turned out to be a two-time All-Pro for the then Baltimore Colts. But after Bubba Smith retired, he started making Miller Lite beer commercials. In these commercials this big old Bubba Smith would tear the top off of a beer can and then he would argue with people about whether that Miller Lite was less filling or tastes great. Well, Bubba Smith died in 2011. But before he did, he was interviewed in a magazine article and he said that he had never, ever drunk beer before. It just wasn't a part of his life. It wasn't who he was, but he advertised it. Bubba Smith said it was an easy job. It was an enjoyable job. The money was good. And generally, he felt pretty good about it, at least at first. See, many years before that, he had gone back to his alma mater, Michigan State, and he was invited to be the Grand Marshal of the homecoming parade for the Spartans. And as he was riding in his limousine, 
he could hear crowds of people shouting. And what were they shouting? Hail Michigan State? Nope. One side of the street was shouting, taste great. And the other side of the street was shouting, less filling. Bubba Smith began to realize then that he and those beer commercials had a tremendous effect on young people. And the only message they were getting was that it was okay to drink light beer. Later on, Bubba Smith was in Fort Lauderdale during spring break. And you know, that's where I moved to Alabama from. So I know what Fort Lauderdale looks like it during spring break. But Bubba said that while he was down there in Fort Lauderdale, hundreds and hundreds of drunken college kids were scattered amongst the beach. And they were all shouting the same thing. Tastes great. Less filling. And so when it came time for Bubba Smith to renew his contract with Miller Lite, he rejected to sign the contract. Bubba said that he didn't want his life to count for something like that. He said that there was this still small voice in his mind that was saying, stop, Bubba, stop. You see, my friends, everybody's life counts. Your life counts for something. Your life matters for something. I wonder if on that first Christmas night, they were wondering about things that matter. I wonder if on that first Christmas night, if the people in Bethlehem were saying to one another, did anything exciting happen around here today? And one of them may have said, nah, nothing much. I did hear about a girl who had a baby in a stable. But you know, nothing exciting ever happens around here. Except that that baby changed the world. That baby changed humanity forever. That baby would ultimately provide redemption for every man, woman, and child that this planet's ever seen. You see, life counts. Life matters. Your life matters. My life matters. The lives of shepherds and the lives of kings, they all matter to God. Your life matters because God knows you and because God loves you. Finally, this. Your faith matters too. Your faith matters too. You see, these shepherds were men of faith. 
They didn't go to church every Sunday, but I bet you they had more faith than the scribes and Pharisees who went to the synagogue every day. They believed in the Savior. They believed in the Messiah. All of God's chosen people believe in a Savior. And when things get especially hard, in poverty or in persecution, those folks would think about their coming Messiah and they would be reminded of the promise of God that one day the Savior is going to come. One day the Savior is going to come and they would pray over and over, let the Messiah come. Lord, let him come today. They prayed for hundreds of years, y'all. Hundreds of years, and they must have wondered, does our faith matter for anything? Does God even hear our prayers? Does God keep his promises? Will the Savior ever come? There must have been a lot of them that quit praying. I'll bet you there was a lot of them who just gave up on their faith. But when the announcement came to the shepherds, God was saying, your faith matters. Your faith matters. Your faith is not in vain. I hear you. And now your Savior has come. And I have kept my promise. So how about us? Do you ever get tired? Do you ever grow weary? I mean, there may be times when you wonder, is it really worthwhile to come to church every week? There must be times when you wonder, is it really worthwhile to sacrifice all that I do for God? Can I tell you that I have often wondered if it's really worthwhile to be a preacher? Sometimes I look at the state of our nation and I look at all the prevalent evil that's going on all over the world and can I tell you that it wears on me. It wears me down. And I pray, Lord, why don't you just come today? Why don't you just come today? Why don't you just take us all home? Why don't you just pluck us out of this evil place and spare us from all this misery and pain and hardship? I've heard some of you say almost the exact same thing. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Come quickly. And we wonder, were our prayers ever heard? Does God keep his promises? Is it worth it all? Can I tell you that one day you'll discover that it was worth all of it? He'll come for us He'll come for all of us, shepherds and kings, wise men and peasants. 
One day he's going to come for his people. He'll dry our eyes and he'll take away our pain. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more corruption in government. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more goodbyes. And then we'll say, <laughs> yeah, it was worth it. It was worth it all. You see, friend, your faith matters. And because your faith matters, I want you to remember this in the Christmas of 2020. Your life matters because God knows you and God loves you. In John chapter 13, Jesus gave his, a commandment to his people. And he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, at Bethlehem, we learn that God is with us. At the cross at Calvary, we learn that God is for us. And then some 40 days after his glorious ascension back to heaven, we learn that God is now in us. And because God is in us, we learn to love like God loves. I've heard it said many times that saved people serve. Anybody else heard that before? I steal that from Brother Jeff Cruz. Amen. Saved people serve. Well, I got one. I want a tagline to that one. Loved people love. So this Christmas... I want you to know how much God loves you, but I want you to love one another. Let me pray for you. Father God, thanking you so much for this time of year when we celebrate the birth of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. Father, it's very likely that in a, in a room filled with people of this number, 